0: All right, so just a, a, just a brief review. We're, we're in Acts, and we're, we're moving through Acts. Next week, we're going to take, um, or this Tuesday, we're going to be up um, talking about the church plants, which we're going to be covering all the epistles, um, the letters, and then we're going to pop into Revelation. We're going to go ahead and pop into Revelation. We've got uh, a lot of fun stuff that's going to happen in a two-week period um, for Revelation. And then we're, going to, then we're going to come back and really put a wrapping on it. And what Lynn has asked me to do, for those who actually go to the mine, after we pop through Revelation, the last two weeks of the mine, um, he's going to invite the entire church. Um, he's going to invite them from the stage, and we're going to be answering some of the questions that he really has, can't answer on on the main stage here, dealing with um, Satanism, dealing with the occult, dealing with um, everything that is paranormal. And it actually wraps fairly good into the conclusion of, of what we're talking about um, as well. So we're going to be hitting that. But right now, we're in Acts, and just a quick review, Acts is... Acts is the second part of the book of Luke's, uh, book of Luke. Um, we've got um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. and so Luke um, was obviously written by Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. We have not run into Luke yet in Acts, but we'll be running into him um, shortly. Um, Acts is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. It is our only connection between the Gospels and all the epistles. And if you would not have Acts, if you would just go from the Gospels and then you'd start into Romans or any of the other letters that were written to the churches, there'd be a significant gap. Um, Much like that gap that we talked about in between the Testaments, there'd be a similar type gap to where you're going, well, wait a minute, during the Gospels, this guy named Paul wasn't even evident. Now he's writing every letter to these churches that apparently he, he found. And so Acts really helps us with that transition of um, um, where uh, and who Paul is, it also helps us with that transition because uh, Acts is where we find out that the church leaves Jerusalem. You'll notice that throughout the rest of the New Testament, Jerusalem is no longer in play. Um, because for the most part, the rest of the New Testament, Jerusalem is sacked. <laughs> it's done. Okay, The temple's destroyed. And so as we look at a lot of the the letters that went out to the, the ephesians or, or or whoever thessalonica jerusalem 's already done, and the church is expanded up into these up into these territories. so last week we we talked a little bit about that expansion. so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter one real quick, and let 's go ahead and look at this um, first section. All right we can 't shut that door now, <laughs> so, <laughs> so go ahead, Barb yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or don't shut it all the way, just leave it sort of half. All right, so if we look at um, Acts chapter 1, we we realize that it was written to a guy named uh, uh, Theophilus. Most likely this is a real guy. Some people think it's um, um, written to just a generalistic group, but um, it seems to be written to an actual guy named Theophilus. There's a very good chance that this Theophilus had something to do with Paul's court case. Okay. So Paul obviously is... um, um, he petitioned Rome, and so he gets to have a hearing in, in front of Rome. And by the way, if he wouldn't have had that, he probably would have been released. Um, so um, so he's petitioning Rome, so he's going to have a hearing. And so it's a very good chance that this Theophilus had something to do with that hearing. And as Luke, one of his companions, who, um, who is a, a f- historian at first rate, said, well, let me document everything that... That you're going to be talking about because this whole court case re- revolves around you, revolves around everything that you stand for and your ministry about Jesus. So it would be a good idea to write the book of Luke that documents the Gospels, that documents um, Jesus, documents that whole thing, even though Paul had nothing to do with Luke. Um, He wasn't around during the gospel period. And then Acts, which is the sequel, the second part, which really enters the early church and introduces Paul. So let's pick it up um, in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus is asking them to hold on, to wait. Um, Don't do anything um, rashly. Wait Wait for the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you going... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So this is an important fact that even after the resurrection, we know know that the disciples doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. They doubted that the tomb was empty. The Pharisees were the only ones that got that peace. And and by the way, the Pharisees didn't necessarily believe that, um, that Jesus rose from the dead. They understood the tomb was empty, but at least they were the ones that actually remembered Jesus saying that. The disciples didn't even remember that. Well, here we go. Now Jesus has walked for 40 days. He's had resurrection appearances in front of individuals, in front of groups, in front of many, up to 500. And yet, the disciples at the very end are still not quite convinced what the whole idea is. They're still waiting for Jesus to go, all right, you've waited long enough, open your present. Uh, typical type thing. And Jesus comes back at him and says, um, he said to them in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Oh, by the way, verse 7, we remember back in the Gospels when Jesus was asked if he knew when he was coming back, and he said, well, what did he say? No, okay? At that time, Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, willingly let go of pieces of his divine nature, the omniscience. He didn't lose it, but he let it go. At this point, I honestly do believe that Jesus actually does know when he's coming back on the second. You notice the different phraseology on this. Um, he doesn't say he doesn't know. He's just say it's not for you to know um, right now. Jesus is, is 100% God um, at this moment. and it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, third part of the Trinity, comes down on you. And you will be my witnesses in three different areas. Well, actually four. In Jerusalem... In Judea and Samaria, that's the outer regions of Jerusalem, and to the very ends of the earth. And then he was taken up. And so Tuesday we talked about sort of the, the smiley face idea that at the beginning everybody's all smiles because they're hoping the kingdom is gonna gonna be there. And when Jesus lets them know, Well, the kingdom is not gonna be set up now, that probably caused some some sadness amongst the disciples. Then he says, No. We're, we're going to start this thing in Jerusalem. That's still not that big of a deal. Everybody in Jerusalem had seen, or a lot of the people had seen the risen Christ, and if they hadn't seen it, they could ask their neighbor, and there's a good chance they saw it. So ministry was easy at the beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, You'll notice in Acts, as we talked about Tuesday, as, as they're preaching the apostolic message, people are coming in droves. Okay, You didn't have to beat around the bush with them. Uh, throughout the message, he kept pointing back to them, as you, as you know, or as you were witness to it. Then the next part is a little tougher. This is Judea and Samaria. So Judea is a tough piece because not everybody in Judea saw that. Okay? Not everybody in Judea understood that. So it, it, ministry is going to be a little tougher. Okay, ministry's going to be a little more difficult. Then we get to Samaria, and the smiley face is completely gone, and now you're getting to a sad face. They didn't want to minister to the Samari- Samaritans. Um, Samaritans were, uh, as we said, sort of the muggles, the half-bloods of, of that society. Um, no one really talked to them, liked them, um, associated with them. And then the final piece, which let them know that I'm not coming back anytime soon. <laughs> you need to take this to the very ends of the earth. You need to take this to the end... As far as you can go, that's where this message needs to go to. And so, and so Jesus is preparing his disciples, and then he, then he got taken up. And then we talked about the whole um, um, Matthias um, chosen to replace Judas. Um, there was a question after Tuesday um, about casting lots, and was that a legitimate um, way? And that actually is. Um, that was used in the Old Testament, Proverbs six. I think if my memory serves correct, talks about the casting of lots. Um, However, even though it was used, God used, um, once they did it, God um, ordained it and um, verified that uh, Matthias is the one chosen. That doesn't necessarily mean that was God's first choice. Okay, remember what he told them to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait don't do anything until the Holy Spirit and what's the first thing they do make a major major decision who's going to place Judas before the Holy Spirit even comes down God still bless that we, we see in later scripture that um, heaven is going the foundations of heaven is going to be on, on the twelve disciples and, and I honestly believe Matthias is the twelfth disciple that that's referring to not Paul okay so so God ordained that, but I'm not sure that was necessarily God's first first choice um, in that in that um, area. So then we walk through as the Holy Spirit um, comes down on them, they talk in tongues. So now we're going to catch up. We weren't quite able to finish what we wanted to. We sort of left off in chapter 4, right before chapter 5. Um, the church is exploding. We passed out sort of the, the church flyers. And the church at at when we get to Chapter Five, the church is probably all already to about twenty thousand people, okay, so we talk about cornerstone and today 's massive today 's a huge attendance day. This room was full the first two services, and hopefully they won 't boot us out because it 's going to be full again i don 't think so, but um, so it was full the first two services so Cornerstone averages um, on a weekend service about six thousand people um, so that 's a, that's a lot of people but that 's that 's men women children that 's a lot of people. In one message, in one message, the attendance of cornerstone was established um, as three thousand were added to the number that day. And then later on, another five thousand men. So anytime you see a reference to numbers, and we saw this way back in the, the Exodus when we we're talking about Moses and how many people left, it's almost always referring to just men. So anytime you see numbers like three thousand, five thousand you need to add you need to double it for the women and you need to probably double it again for the children that are that are going there so that, so this church is exploding keep in mind Jerusalem only has about 10 to 20,000 maybe 30,000 people at best when the festivals aren't going on now during the Pentecost there was a festival going on so it balloons in, into a large number but this church is massive now the other thing we need to understand as we look at churches here we have Cornerstone. Up there we have Sun Valley. Right over here we have Chandler Christian. That's not how it worked back back in the day, um, when they said the the. The Church in Ephesus that meant all the Christians, all the believers that lived in the city and the the surrounding areas of ephesus that 's who that letter was written to it wasn 't l- written to First Baptist Church of Ephesus or or one specific church okay the way we do church today is totally f- foreign to how it was done in in the early church okay so they they met daily they met in homes um, they would meet in the temple courts they would when the temple was still there um, they would they would meet in all different places um throughout the day so we get to ananias and sapphire and we'll go ahead and read this because this is this is definitely a stumbling block for some and skeptics love to jump on this one as well so we leave off with everything's happy church is exploding everybody's sharing things not communism style but everybody's sharing because a lot of the new christians now the a lot of the new believers that came in for pentecost for the festival decided not to go back home they wanted it was so powerful they wanted to stay and so all these new people needed a place to live needed food needed needed a change of clothes even though they probably didn't change clothes every day like like we should um, but they, um, so these people still so when you see that believers shared possessions that 's typically what it meant it didn 't mean the believers that were currently there were um, making everybody equal as far as who had money and if this person makes a lot of money where well, we're going to make them equal to those who who don't that's not what it's referring to okay so ananias and sapphira now a man named ananias together with his wife sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Okay? So that's, a weird, that's just a weird way it's written. You, you, you would think, is, oh, he fell down and he, and he begged for an apology or fell down and cried or he fell down and... No, he just simply died. Um, and then it, get, it gets worse. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. All right. So it's easy for us as believers to just read by that and go on, whew, that was heavy. Okay, let's get to the Apostles' heel, Manny, and we, we just move on past these things. People who aren't believers read that; they don't move along. They they just stop and go, what on earth? And they put it into our context. And, and seriously, imagine this: you you got an early church, um, you got these usher guys, okay? They're still not. This has never happened before, okay? So man, there wasn't like prep. Oh, by the way, today we're gonna have two people die, so make sure you have extra ushers on the middle aisles. And that 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 didn't happen, okay? So this. All of a sudden, these people are bringing money, and again, this is what's happening left and right. People are coming and bringing land, bringing money, bringing stock options or whatever they had in that day's context, and they're laying it at the apostles' feet and giving it to the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And so, this husband and wife thought they would do the same, but they would—they thought they would take all the credit for it, even though they're sort of they're they're hiding some of it back and. So why so harsh? Anybody have an idea of why so harsh? Why couldn't they, why couldn't they just been reprimanded? church disciplined, kicked out of the church, excommunicated? Why die? Anybody have any thoughts? Yep Okay? so the sin they committed was they lied to the Holy Spirit. okay? They lied to the Holy Spirit. okay? Now, some of you are going, wow, I think I've lied to God too at some point in my life. And, and so keep in mind, this this sin in our context is probably not that big of a sin. But also keep in mind, the sin that brought sin into the world to begin with was someone biting into a piece of fruit. Okay, So we don't want to make the mistake of weighing sin and which one... Um, God actually goes, "You know what this is, this is something that we need to use a, as as an example okay so so this the reason why it was such a weighty issue is because of when it happened, not necessarily what they did okay yes it 's bad to lie to the holy spirit yes it 's bad to hold back and take credit, which I think a lot of us have done stuff like that before um, that 's all bad stuff, but it 's when it happened that 's the issue, uh, much like when Um, The Exodus happened, and you've got this young nation, and they're out. And um, you notice that during the Exodus, it was like boot camp. And I think we even mentioned that up on stage. It was like boot camp. And it was was so strict. And if you look through Leviticus and you look at those laws and the rules, they are strict. I mean, they are strict, legalistic, I mean, to the word. I mean, you, you don't mess with stuff. Because at that time... God was was creating a nation, and he was doing the foundation of an of what would become the nation of israel and When you start with the foundation, just much like what Lynn did with his example, you start out crooked in five years it's even more crooked in ten years it's even more crooked. If you let something like this happen in boot camp, wait till we get into the battlefield you're in trouble okay so This is the second situation where we see a biblical boot camp happening. This early church, everything was going good, but God wanted to make sure that everybody understood that God is still God, and lying to the Holy Spirit is a huge deal. God is a holy God. And if this would have been just a simple reprimand, or, oh, you know what, you didn't know what you were doing, we've never done this before. It would have started the foundation crooked, and it would have been a disaster. And you notice what happened um, once this happened. Great fear seized everybody, so people sort of took a, a breath and went, "Okay, this is still. This isn't just some weird church that's starting out, and we're not gonna we're not gonna be so strict like um, like the Pharisees, and we're not gonna be so strict like like um, what we came from, and we can sort of take this willy nilly." And, and no, it. It was still, wasn't legalistic, but it was still strict. The same God that they worshipped for years is still the same God. It's a different context, a different, a different setting. But man, this is still the same God. And so this was an instance where, you know what, we're, we're going to u- use this as an example that we can't let, let this go because um, this cancer will grow. And so as harsh as it is, and it, and it is harsh, that, that's the reason why, why it was um, so harsh. Okay, so we get, um, we move on and we see the apostles now are starting to to heal people. And we talked last week, or last Tuesday, what an apostle was. And we sort of see that that diagram of, of what the requirement was to be one of the 12. Okay, now the... The requirements to be one of the 12 was different than the requirement to be an apostle. Because we'll notice throughout the Bible, there were other people that were referenced as apostles. Paul being the significant one. And we know Paul did not meet the requirement um, that uh, Mattathias met. Okay, Matthias met... Uh, a totally different requirement he he was there at john 's baptism and he was there throughout the entire uh, the entirety of jesus 's ministry. He saw the risen Christ he was there under the teachings and all that. We know that Paul did not fulfill that requirement. Paul did not know Jesus at the baptism he wasn 't there throughout all- the um, throughout the entirety of his uh, ministry he was however there um, for a resurrection appearance whether uh, we, we're pretty sure Paul didn't see the resurrected Christ um, during the 40 days but we know on the road to Damascus he finally got a firsthand uh, um, encounter with Jesus okay so we'll talk about this at a later time but um, the requirements for an apostle, just the office of apostle is different than the requirements for the apostle to fulfill that, that 12. Okay, So believers are sharing their possessions. Apostles heal many. Let's read verse 12 um, and on down. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's the temple courts, the, the portico. Now once... Now, no one, um, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded um, by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought, brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. Um, As they pass by, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Um, So, here we start getting the first um, idea that the apostles are starting to gather crowds like Jesus did, and for a lot of the same reasons. Remember, Jesus gathered crowds, but... It wasn't necessarily because Jesus was just a nice guy and he was a great teacher. Yes, he was a great teacher, and a lot of people flocked to see Jesus. But more people flocked to be healed by Jesus or, or, or to have demons cast out of them, which we're talking about in this series. And so this is starting to happen again. Peter or They got an idea that, oh my goodness, the apostles now are doing what Jesus did. The apostles now can heal people. We saw that w- with the, the beggar. Um, that Peter and John um, healed. So they're, they're getting the idea that, man, we can be healed. And so you see people are now starting to line the streets for what? Yeah, for it to be healed. How? By Peter's shadow. Okay? Now, here's what we need to understand is a misnomer. Nowhere in here does it actually say Peter's shadow actually healed people. Okay. What they were doing was going, wow, he's so powerful that maybe even his shadow. So they're, they're adding a little bit to probably what, what scripture would give. Um, I, I seriously doubt Peter's shadow would be, would be healing people. That's not, not the purpose of it. Um, but the, the, the simple fact is that they were lining up um, to, to hear, uh, to be healed, to have the demons um, exercised um, out of them. So the apostles then started um, to be persecuted. And then we get to chapter 6 the choosing of the 7 okay so we've already talked about the choosing to fit uh, to fill the 1 now we're going to talk about this whole idea of the 7 in those days when the number of this chapter chapter 6 verse 1 when the number of disciples were increasing the hellenistic Jews hellenistic is another reference to the the greek or the grecian Jews um uh, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, so let's stop there. One of the one of the um, requirements um, in Judaism, and and again in in christianity is you take care of you take care of the widows and the orphans okay and so this was happening even in the early church they were taking care of the widows but what was happening is they were taking care of the hebrew widows first and then the hellenistic those gentile um, um, widows would be second or maybe not at all and so they were having some issues here So the 12, okay, we're back to 12 again, gathered all the disciples together and said, so the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples, so there were more than 12 disciples. Anybody who followed um, was a disciple. They gathered all the disciples uh, together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, okay, notice they're addressing um, the women as well, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention and or to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay? So what's the distinction? What are the they're going to choose seven among them. What is their responsibility? Okay, take care of the widows, take care of all these. Matters. It's not necessarily just the widows, but take care of all these uh, logistical matters because the 12 do not have time to wait on tables, as they would say. What what did they need to be doing? Ministering, okay? Spreading the gospel, ministering um, the word, okay? And prayer. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip... Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmeni, or Parmenius, and Nicholas. Notice, notice all all these um, names are Hellenistic. Okay. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and here we go again. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so who in the modern day context who would these these people be? Who would the 7 be? Yeah, deacons. Yeah, deacons lay work, okay? Who were the 12? Yeah, like the pastors of the elders. Now this gets confusing for us because at Cornerstone our elders actually more perform what this would be describing as deacons. And our church staff, um, specifically the pastors, me and Martin and Lynn, would be more of the elders, okay? So the elders of the church back then initially started with 12. One rose to be the lead, the lead elder, the lead pastor, and that was Peter at this moment, okay? As we spread out, that would change in the different, um, different areas. So... So that that's what this would be. So the deacons were there to handle the money stuff, um, the distribution of food, the dealing with the property, and all that kind of stuff, making sure the church was taken care of. Because the the pastors or the elders, their dealing was spreading the gospel and teaching the word and prayer. So that was their um, their big thing. Okay. Then we get to a, a pivotal moment, and this is where the tra- where our first major transition in Acts happens. And this is in, in verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, so this was not one of the pastors, this was one of the deacons of the church, Okay, one of the seven, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So again, any time we're in the Word, any time we've got the Holy Spirit moving in us, Satan cannot stand up against that, the, the satanic forces of the world and those who, who oppose will not be able to stand up, not against you, but against the Spirit that's within you. Okay? Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people, and the elders and the teachers of the law, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say these or that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin intent, or looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like, um, was like the face of an angel. All right. So let's stop here. So who seized? It's Stephen. He's one of the seven. Okay, um, There's been false witnesses brought against him and now he's standing where? In front of the Sanhedrin. Okay, This same Sanhedrin that who else stood in front of? Jesus, and uh, even more recently, Peter and John were in there as well. So this is the same Sanhedrin. Now they're looking at Stephen, okay, Stephen's brought in there, Um, does there any indication that anybody else in the church was brought in there with him? Has anybody ever thought of that? No, okay, how on earth do we even know about this then? There's a very good chance, obviously the Holy Spirit, um, um, is the author of the Bible, there's a very good chance that ultimately some members of the Sanhedrin um, were there and eventually became believers. And so as Luke is now interviewing the witness, because Luke is not here yet. Luke isn't even on the scene yet. Okay, Luke didn't get on the scene until he started traveling with Paul. This is way, way, way down the road. So Luke, as he's writing Acts, is coming back and he's interviewing the witnesses, there's a very good chance here now that Paul is in this room as Saul okay so so they notice um, automatically that his face he had a face of an angel chapter 7 and by the way this is this is we're about to see as we look at chapter 7 all the way up through the beginning parts of chapter 8 this is the longest um, apology and an apology is a defense of the faith in the entire Bible okay and this is some and then this is a powerful 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 passage then the high priest asked Stephen are these charges true and starting in verse two just sort of maybe close your eyes um, and or follow you can follow along but imagine you're there and listening to this guy okay this is Stephen okay he apparently did not grow up as a Hebrew does not know all the script. Okay, so remember that they filled the seven not with Hebraic Jews, but who? Hellenistic Jews. So this is a former Gentile. Start catching what he's about to unload on these theologians in here, on these teachers of the law, these guys who have the Old Testament absolutely memorized. Watch what Stephen's about to do. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to your to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran leave your country and your people God said and go to the land I will show you and by the way this is a great synopsis of the entire journey 180 so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran after the death of his father God sent him to the land where you are now living he gave him no inheritance here but even uh, not even enough ground to set his foot on But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him into... As a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent um, for his father Jacob and his whole family 75 in all. So again, the nation of Israel started with a small number. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where, there, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back uh, to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from his sons of Hamor and Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God fuf- to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would not die. At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For 3 months he was carried or cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own People, the Israelites. He saw one or he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying Men, you are brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreated who was mistreating the other, pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia, where he settled for, as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at it. As he went over to get a closer look, He heard the Lord say, okay, so not an angel. heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for this place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses that had rejected, or that they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliver by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in, in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He was receiving living words to pass on to us, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts, turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and revealed or reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offering 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech, okay, which is a false god, and the star of your, your god, Raphim, and the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It has been made uh, as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And then it gets bad. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You are you who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Wow. Imagine just out of the blue coming up with that doozy. So Stephen basically laid out in front of all the teachers of the law. These teachers of the law knew the Torah. They knew the first five books of the Bible. They understood the law of Moses. And Stephen just absolutely enlightened them, connected the dots, and then compared them to every single hinge point in the history of Israel where the ancestors rejected the Holy Spirit. And he was doing it here. Watch their happy reply. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Pause there. Where was Jesus? At the right hand of God. What was he doing? Only time in scripture is there a reference that Jesus is standing. It's always sitting. But for whatever reason, Jesus was actually standing at the right hand of God. Jesus was fully in attention to what was happening here. So it's a powerful scene that up in heaven, Jesus, the creator, is standing, standing, and in full attention to what's about to happen. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling, just like little kids, at yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. How is this different than what happened to Jesus? Okay? You see any difference? Jesus didn't have a reply. Okay, what was the action of the Sanhedrin? What did they kept telling Pilate? We can't kill people. We can't enforce capital punishment. <laughs> Look what happens just a couple months later. Okay, so we go back to the whole Jesus time in front of Pilate. That was all a bunch of baloney. Um, the Sanhedrin absolutely knew they could kill Jesus if they wanted to and get away from it. They, they, they wanted to have Rome kill Jesus. Okay? At this, they covered their ears, Yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out into the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. Hey, introduction. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. Powerful scene. This is a young believer. This is a a young believer. He's not steeped in in, in the history of Judaism. He didn't necessarily grow up that way, or it seems to indicate that at least. But yet, he takes a stand in front of the very people that killed Jesus. Just unloads absolutely dead-on accurate information and actually extra information than what we've even seen in the Old Testament. Okay, remember, it's Stephen's the one that called Moses out. <laughs> remember when Moses used the excuse, I, "I cannot speak." Stephen called him out here. Said, "Oh no, he was he was very gifted in speech." Um, and so Stephen's powerful. And then the humility, he sees, he sees Jesus, which is, which is powerful, okay? He, see, he sees the risen Jesus, sees him up in heaven, sees him standing at the right hand, at the right hand of God, which has got to be an amazing sight to see. And then he asks for forgiveness. Then he asks for forgiveness. Now imagine these words. Because who was there approving of the killing? Saul. Who did Stephen ask for forgiveness for? Those who were killing him, which would include Saul. So imagine, a lot of times we just got to put ourselves in their sandals. Imagine Paul for <laughs> as he's living for Christ and, he, and he's traveling and he's reading through uh and, and and he's remembering these moments and he's talking with Luke eventually and Paul's all, "Yeah. I could just imagine Paul crying as he's telling Luke. The guy actually asked For God to forgive me, you know. Uh, It's just a powerful moment. And then here's what happens, a major hinge point. On that day, okay, not in a couple weeks, not as they got their politics set. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna move on to chapter nine real quick. What time is it? Anybody have a? Okay, so um, we now have a scattering. A lot of times, um, we're not saying that God did this on purpose, but a lot of times when his believers, his followers don't necessarily follow his direction right off the bat. Sometimes events will come into their life to force it, okay? And so remember his calling, you are going to go, you're going to be in Jerusalem, and then where? Judea and Samaria. Well, they didn't move to Judea and Samaria until they were forced to, okay? And so now they, they've scattered, and all but the apostles are now in Judea and Samaria, okay? So they, they have fled Jerusalem and fled, more specifically, Saul, which is the Hebrew name for Paul. Okay. So they, they fled him. We're not going to read through this, but now we see as Paul is going or as Saul is going on a full on um full on power play to basically destroy the entire church. He's going to get rid of the Stevens of the world. Okay. He's gotta he's gotta get rid of this cancer before it spreads. And any time in the history of of the world, anytime you oppress the followers of God The movement grows; it just happens every time, and so this is this is what starts happening here. But I want you to, again, try to put your put your um, feet in their sandals. Here is Paul, who we see in chapter nine, eventually comes to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus had to meet him where he was at, stop him on the road, and boom, um, he he flipped him, and Paul eventually became a believer. And it took another ten or so years. until Paul really started to grasp. Okay, Paul had to go out on a, a little soul-searching, and he had to go out and, and, and really start, okay, okay, I, I've seen the resurrected Jesus, but just because he saw the resurrected Jesus, just because he understood, okay, Jesus is God, he still, in his mind, has got to now go and retread everything he's ever learned and, and, and go back each step and go, okay, so here's how Jesus is the Messiah here and here and here. Oh, it was Jesus at the burning bush. Oh, it was Jesus. And so it, it took a while for Paul to get to the point. He didn't just become the world's greatest evangelist the next day um, after receiving his sight back. Okay, so it, there was a process. Um, another thing that was needed is imagine, if you will, okay, we're all, we're all still a little fresh on this. Imagine Osama bin Laden. Okay, all of a sudden has a Jesus encounter. And all of a sudden, he turns his life over to Jesus Christ. Okay? And all of us, even inside, right now, here hearing that, are going, oh, I hope not. But honestly, as Christians, we should hope for that. We should have hoped for that. Okay? But, um, so he turns his life over to Christ. Or maybe Hitler turns his life over to Christ. And now he's coming back, and Osama bin Laden's going to start witnessing the love of Jesus Christ to Americans. More specifically, maybe the families of 9 9-11 or Hitler's going to start witnessing the love of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. What's their reaction? No way. No way. And, and there's, there's going to be a lot of doubt. Is this a ploy? Is, is he really trying to, is he just trying to lead us out and he's just going to kill us? Keep in mind, a lot of the early converts of Saul were, were people that were related to people he killed. Imagine coming and listening to Saul, and as he's probably tearfully just saying, "Man, I, I met Jesus, I turned my life over and and I am a Hebrew of hebrews i I can verify it I'll walk through how Jesus is the Messiah I'll walk through how he is Lord, and he'll walk through the apostolic message, and imagine you sitting there going, that makes total sense, but he killed my grandma, and I watched him do it." it It's a tough moment for, imagine the 12 disciples, imagine those who buried Stephen, going, who just became a Christian? Uh Uh-uh, it's not true, it's not true. So this is what what Paul's having um, to deal with quite a bit. And so eventually, the the church, through the Holy Spirit, accepts him, the apostles accept him. There's a very good chance there were certain segments of um, the new movement that might have never accepted him. It's a, very, it's a very possible scenario.? Okay? So let's skip up into chapter 11. Um, church of Antioch is being formed. Um, the church is now moving on. Antioch's uh, a lot further north. So we're getting out of Judea and Samaria. We're starting to move. Remember, the early um, the movement went faster than the, the preachers. Okay, so people that came to Pentecost or people that came to the festivals and and heard the early church, they would go back to their hometowns, and a lot of them would start movements. So a lot of times, as we'll talk about Tuesday night, when Paul or or someone else would would walk into Ephesus or Thessalonica or or Berea or wherever, there's already a a, a church forming there because someone front okay, and so they would just come in, correct any misconceptions and. and 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 all that kind of stuff. And this was, this happened actually even before the message of Jesus came about. There were times when Paul would enter a, a, a situation, and they would go, "Oh well, we heard about the message of John the Baptist, but they had yet heard Jesus." And so th- this would happen as as um, the Jews would move forward. And then we get in chapter thirteen a major major um, um, scenario that happens in the in the early early church. And this is where we have our second transition from now Judea and Samaria down to the rest of the world. And this is in chapter, um, at the very end, right after Herod dies, at the very end of chapter 12, verse 25 on into 13. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, so stop there. This church, look at the their staff. (laughs) That's a pretty powerful staff. Okay, no need for friend days here. You got, I mean, you got some backup speakers that are going to bring the heat. Okay, so this is this is a, a a blossoming church. Um, had everything going for it. While they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which they have, I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Who chose Barnabas and, and Paul or Saul? The Holy Spirit. Okay. This is a little different than the casting of lots situation. We don't see any more casting of lots for now. And the early church now understands, you know what, we get our answers through worship through fasting, through prayer. And so from now on, that this is when the answers come to the questions, is through these moments. And so the, the church, the Holy Spirit says, you know what, you need to set apart two of your staff, Barnabas and Saul, for a work I have prepared them for. Okay. What was the church's decision? Okay, what could the church's decision have been? Yeah. Okay. What would happen if that would have been us? I mean, be honest. What what if through um, fasting and prayer we're at the elder board all of a sudden it just becomes apparent that, you know what, um, Lynn and, and you can just name like three other staff, they, you know what, they need to go and plan a church. Do we do it? Oh, but we're in a building process. We're in a building campaign. And we can't lose. I mean, we can't lose Lynn. We can't lose whoever else. We can't imagine this church sitting there going, "Man, we, man, we can go." And and I talked about this. I don't know. probably six months ago on Main Stage. The whole idea of being an anonymously famous church, a church that looks at at what they have and go, "You know what? We have it good." Whether it's the the Church of Latrobe in Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania that has this amazing children's guy um, named Fred, and man, we can keep Fred, and we can become a mega church in ourselves. We can become the most famous church within an hour's drive of La Trobe, or we can say, you know what, I think the Holy Spirit's asking us to move Fred out, and Fred becomes Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, and he has a much more global impact, especially uh, specifically an American impact, or the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Man, we have... This Martin Luther guy is amazing. He's a great speaker, and whenever he speaks on Sundays, our overflow is filled. But you know what? God might have a greater work for him, and so let's, let's encourage him. And so it's all these anonymous. So Antioch is really that first anonymous church that said, you know what? We could rock it with, with Barnabas and Saul here. We absolutely can. I mean, the wealth of knowledge Saul has and his evangelist, we could become the it thing. Instead, let's, let's send him out. So the Holy Spirit asks them to do it, but that doesn't always mean the church has to listen. And many churches in the history of the world don't listen. And eventually, God removes their candlestick, and they die. Okay, and so this is an example of the first example of a church that decided, you know, we're going to go on and become an anonymously famous church. That's exactly what they did. Antioch disappears off the pages of of the Bible after that after that moment. But because of Antioch, you can hold the rest of your Bible up. This is all (laughs) legit. Okay, the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Thessalonians, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Philippians, all because they sent Saul. Okay, so what time do we have? What time does he at? What, uh, 110? Okay, we've got a couple more minutes. I'm going to give you a, just a brief overview, and then we're going to definitely, I'm going to add this in to Tuesday night, so we'll be able to hit it. Paul took, from this point on, he ended up taking three missionary journeys. Um, his name got flipped. Why Why did his name get flipped from Saul to Paul? Anybody ever question that? Why? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that would be a, a good, yeah. yeah. And Nostradamus was right. Um, Um, So we get, uh, the reason why is because Paul's mission is changing. Paul is no longer serving to Hebrews, which the name Saul. He's now going to be witnessing to Gentiles. So there comes the Greek name, Paul. Okay? So he now, so he's just, that's basically the whole reason why that happened. Okay. So as Paul's going out, we need to still remember that um, there's a church in Jerusalem. James is now leading the church in Jerusalem. Peter is not the leader of the church. James is the leader. This is not the same James as the two disciples. You had James the less and James the greater. Neither one of those is the James that wrote the letter James, nor is it the same James that was the leader of the church. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. He was the one that wrote the epistle James. He was not a believer until after the resurrection. He did not believe his brother, which makes sense. If my son um, Chad, turns out he was the son of God, Christine would not believe that at all. Todd would not believe that. And, And until Chad supernaturally, paranormally, appeared after his death saying, duh, and stuck his tongue out at her. So this is... So James, and by the way, Jesus had another half-brother. Anybody know him? Jude. Okay? So James and Jude were both half-brothers. Neither one of them were believers until after the resurrection. So James is um, the leader of the church. We see he's already dead by now. He's been martyred. Okay? I believe that happened in chapter 12. Um, um, So now we get, starting in chapter 13, um, verse 4 all the way to chapter 14 28 we have Paul's first missionary journey many of you have Bibles that have maps that show these um, different journeys um, this is where you'll first see his name changed to Paul Antioch even though they were the anonymously famous church they were still the base of ministry for Paul so every time he went on a missionary journey he started from there and he typically finished in Antioch okay? so he went out and he uh, basically started his missionary journey um, he would he would basically start out by going to the synagogue first, and then typically when he was rejected at the synagogue, he would move on either to the side of a river or to an academy or, or somewhere, and he would start preaching um, from there. But he always 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 started in a synagogue, and he would just go wherever wherever the boat stopped or wherever the caravan stopped, he would be there. Sometimes it was only for a day, sometimes a week, sometimes he was there for close to a year and he would typically establish a church and then he would leave and then as he's on his missionary journeys a lot of times especially some of the bigger ministries he would write a letter back to them saying hey how you doing I want to encourage you I want to um, I've been getting some questions here's some answers and so this is where we get some of these letters that are going to these churches Ephesus and um, um, Philippians and, and, and stuff like that okay after that after the first journey, um, we see in Acts chapter 15, the entire chapter, he comes back to the council of Jerusalem. And this is where they have the big question on whether Gentiles had to observe the same structures that the Hebrews did. Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and all of that? And they decided no. Okay, and so Paul and a team are basically commissioned uh, to deliver this decision to churches. There starts the second missionary journey. Okay, and so now he's starting to go even further, and you can see in your maps as he'll start to get up into Greece. He gets out of Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. He starts getting up into Greece. Okay, and so this will go all the way up until chapter 18, and then his third missionary journey um, will go from 18 to 21. Um, he ends up um, I'm writing a lot of his um, letters during this time. Um, he gives his farewell address to Ephesus. And then eventually, we see in chapter 21, he is warned by the Holy Spirit not to go back to Jerusalem. Okay, Why? They're going to kill him. Okay, What does Paul do? He ignores the Holy Spirit. He actually says, you know what, I have a better plan. So even guys like Paul do stuff like that all the time. And there's consequences, okay? And so Paul basically, who knows? Maybe the Holy Spirit had journey number four, five, and six all planned. Maybe Spain was next. Maybe Egypt was Who knows? Okay? Paul took himself out of ministry by ignoring the call of the Holy Spirit, and he got captured. Now, while he was captured, there were many things that happened. He wrote a lot of his, um, what they would call the prison epistles. He he would write letters from prison to the different churches. He would start writing to individuals, not just churches, but to individuals, um, um, pastors typically of of churches, Um, and then eventually Paul was martyred, okay? Paul died in somewhere around 62 A.D., okay? And as we see, once we get up into the 60s, we'll see that the Jewish church um, or the the temple is gone now. Church is now completely on their own. Completely on their own. There is no more temple. There's still synagogues in certain cities, but the, the church is now for sure separated, and they're out on their own. Most of the apostles died. Okay, so most of the apostles died, and we'll talk about this on Tuesday, most of the apostles died a martyr's death. The Bible doesn't talk about any of them, really, except for just a couple of them. But as we look back in Jewish tradition and in, in Roman history, we see where we can track all the apostles and pretty much where they died. Okay? And so some died over in India, some went up into, up into Russia, some went over into Africa, so all the apostles spread out. The Bible really only focuses in Acts on one. That's Paul. You really don't say, see the missionary journeys of, of Thomas or the missionary journeys of, of, of James or the missionary journeys of Bar- or Barabbas. Um, um, a matthew or, or any of those it's not because those weren't important all of them could have had a map in the back of the bible too showing where they went but we're, we're really just focused in on paul because we're looking at paul as he reached out to the gentiles we need to keep in mind though that the rest of the church also reached out um to the world as well at this time but much like in the old testament where we're really following abraham and his lineage we're really now just um from chapter 13 on we're really just following paul and, and watching how um he reached out there were more churches started than just the ones listed um, in um, in the uh, New Testament or the one a lot of people think that the only church plants are the ones that Paul wrote a letter to or that Peter might have wrote a letter to that 's not true okay there 's no there 's no letter called Bereans, but we know there was a plant in berea um, there 's no letter to antioch there 's no letter okay but we know there was church plants there was church planted all over the place. We see a couple more in the um second and third chapter of revelation when we we, we see uh, laodicea we see the church in philadelphia so we see some of these other towns that some of the apostles got to but there were churches set up in india um and in what we now know as russia up in um, um down in um, alexandria so there were churches set up everywhere the church is exploding at this time but again acts most likely because it was a court document and it's really following just paul's history um after that so this tuesday night we'll we'll wrap a little bit we'll talk a little bit more about paul's journey for the 80 that weren't in here and then we'll also start getting into the letters we'll start looking okay what does galatians look like what does colossians look like and we'll hand out do some handouts give a brief synopsis of what those look like any questions from obviously we're flying like the wind but yes Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mo- most of of, of it's going to be in the Bible, and and we do need to remember that um, the four Gospels and Acts are absolutely historical documents. They're they're legit. Um, Josephus is a good one. Um, again, as we look back at these historians, a lot of them. Um, Obviously, we paid to write their history. Now, I remember someone came up to me after the mine and said, well, I can't believe you're using Josephus as a, an example because he was a politicist. He wasn't really even a historian. Well, that, that's not true. Josephus is considered a historian. Um, was he a biased historian? Absolutely, he was biased. Um, he, he was paid to write um, the history of a war. <laughs> and and then all those other things that went with it so he gave a background on the Jews for the Romans that he was writing for Romans so but to say that josephus's history is not that strong is a misnomer he's not biased towards jesus by any stretch he was an antagonist against the christians he did not like the christian movement he was a he was a jewish person however the jewish people also didn't like josephus because he was working for the romans and so he would bias a lot of things towards that. But Josephus is a great work to look at. Um, he talks about it. Um, Suetonius is a good one. Tacitus is a good one. There's a whole bunch of ancient historians. But they really, Palestine, this is, this is like, um, I mean, I know today's um, official Star Wars day. So this is like Tatooine. This is like a planet that no one really cares about, Palestine. There's a lot bigger history, according to Romans, happening all over the world than what's happening in this little place where Luke Skywalker came out of so they, they don't really care about that at that time but there is definitely references um, to Christ there's references to the fact that this guy named Christus was um, uh, put on a cross by Pontius Pilate so those are all evident um, Tacitus talks about how this evil group because he hated the Christians as well um, spread this rumor that um, there was a resurrection and all that kind of stuff which wouldn't even need to be said if that's not what the early church was saying at that at that time um, so, But again, most of your history is going to come out of the four Gospels um, and Acts. Acts is a phenomenal historical document. And all those pass the test of history. So as you're looking, um, historians have to go through, wh- wh- in college they'll have to go through um, classes dealing with um, how to document history, what historicity is, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Gospels and Acts pass it with flying colors to, to um Literal criticism, all that kind of stuff. So they're they're definitely good documents to look at, um, but um, yeah, there's there's I mean there's quite a bit. I mean there's new New Testament scholarship from modern day. William Lane Craig does a lot on um, the resurrection of Jesus, more from an apologetic bent. so I'd look at William Lane Craig dealing with um, the resurrection. Um, I mean, McDowell and, and um, Lee Strobel have some the case for Christ, and so there's some But they're all they're all going to go back to the source um, pretty much. But they'll pull out some of the ta- William Lane Craig's my favorite because he, he really goes after some of these other characters. So, any other? All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who are able to make it today, those who are listening online, especially those who are out um, fighting for our freedom, and we we thank you so much for them. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, a man like Stephen who um, took a stand for you, uh, a bold and courageous stand who was filled by the Holy Spirit. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that... um, For your word, uh, for the word that just pours out of the mouths of those who follow you. And Heavenly Father, we just pray um, um, that we will continually put your word at the forefront of our lives and our hearts and and of our speech. Heavenly Father, we thank you for men like Stephen. We thank you for men like Paul who gave their lives... um, to the word. We thank you for this early church and, and I pray that as a church as we continue to move forward and we have hinge moments here at Cornerstone um, to where we can either listen to the Holy Spirit or listen to our own dreams. I just pray that we're always putting the Spirit first and listening to the Spirit and acting accordingly. And we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, protect us. Um, and bring us back next week. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Cool.